0: Good morning, church. Good morning. Take out your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning as we conclude this two-week part series on circles. And uh, a couple of things I want to talk to you about before we get to that next, uh, actually next week, um, we are going to have a catalyst moment uh, in South Austin that will begin a journey of us coming together together in uh, seeking to position us for gospel ministry in this area, in South Austin, and the incredible growth that's happening here, to position this campus for excellent gospel ministry for the next 20 years. But there's some things and challenges we need to address on this campus. And so I'm asking you to please, please plan to be here next week. Uh, bring a friend. If you know somebody that's not here or they're out of town, please tell them to, to get on the stream, especially for part of the South Austin campus. We're going to be uh, beginning a forward campaign. The campaign is titled Forward. If you didn't get the video, I think they have a graphic up there, but it's a campaign that's coming. It's going to be called Forward. We're going to be starting our conversation next week as a campus about what it might look like for us to all march together and address some of these challenges. Next week, you're going to hear all about the plan, okay? And so, um, please plan on being here. But then, um, we are also in our second week of our series, Circles, and I just felt like a few months ago, uh, probably several months ago, I felt like um, I've never really dealt with, biblically, in a systematic way, the subject of friendships. Friendships. And the power of friendships, the significance of them, how they work in our lives, how do we build good friendships, what type of friendships we would pursue, which types we shouldn't. You take all of the information in the Bible and you try to bring it to a picture that you can look at to help you guide, guide yourself in building health, healthy friendships. I don't know that I've ever done that. And I think actually in our day today, um, that's really, really important. And it's really important, especially for the next generation. Because friendships are so powerful in, in young people's lives. And we started school back and I thought, let's just talk about Biblical friendships, biblical structure of friendships. And so that's what we're doing in this series. And I want us to look at a very familiar portion of scripture. In fact, I go to this text quite a bit. Um, It's in Jesus in uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 13 down to 16. And you can really apply this passage to church. You can apply this passage to your individual life. You can apply this passage in all kinds of different ways, but what I'd like to do is take the text and apply it to us trying to think about the friendships we develop in our life. And so let's read together Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 down to 16. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Let's pray together. Father, we just uh, take a second to bow before you and offer ourselves to you. And Lord, in a very intentional and very special way, we come together as your church and we look to you and we ask that you would speak to us, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts that understand and to walk with you. But we just want to meet with you and we want to hear from you. And so as we meditate upon your word, as Psalm 1 says, you have a great blessing in it for us. As we meditate and think through and chew on this particular text, we pray that you would lead us in wisdom to be who you've called us to be. And, Lord, what to do with it. We pray that you'd lead us, Holy Spirit. We offer that to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says... You, well, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the crowds, and that you is actually in Texas, y'all, okay? So it's plural, Uh, he's not talking to an individual, he's talking to his people, and if you wanted to apply that today, he would say, today, he would say, y'all, well, who would be the y'all? It would be the big C church in the earth, the church, all of his followers, all of the people who claim Jesus is Lord, he would say, you, y'all are the light of the world. Y'all are the salt of the of the earth. And uh, he says salt. And he uses an analogy here that's kind of interesting. Uh, salt. Of course, we know, we're familiar with this, you probably are very familiar with this, that salt is a preservative in the day, that to preserve meat, to keep decay from happening as fast as it could without it, salt preserves. And so what does that mean? You, my church, on the earth are a, like a preservative for corruption, decay, um, all of those sorts of things. That you stand in that place to keep decay from happening on the earth, and apply that as you as you might. But it's the illustration, it's the picture that he's talking about there. But also, salt flavors; it adds flavor to every food, uh, and and so it also adds joy, uh, enjoyment, uh, pleasantness on the earth. And so it's not it's not just uh, keeping things from decaying; it's actually producing. Life and joy. Um, And so my people, church, you're going to have this kind of effect on the earth because you're like salt. But then he says this, and some of y'all need to help me with this because I don't know that it actually is possible. But I guess it could be. But he says, but if salt loses its saltiness. Um, I don't even know if that's possible chemically. Maybe some of y'all could help me with that. Send me an email. I couldn't find anything online about salt not becoming or losing saltiness. Uh, But he gives the analogy there to say, in other words, to his church, to you and me, you can lose your effect. You can lose it. You can be my people and not produce decay or, or be a preservative for decay. You can be my people and not produce life on the earth and enjoyment and pleasantness you can not be salt it's possible and so what's he talking about there um well i'm going to look at that here in just a second but then he says you're a light you're the light of the world uh you you provide light to the world that, that's what you're going to do church you're going to provide light now what is light light is knowledge revelation from god um, seeing things you couldn't see before, but light also brings joy. When you think about how afraid you are at dark in a back alley somewhere, it's not so scary when it's broad day, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's life. You're going to produce life through light like that on the earth. And it's fundamentally that you are going to be the people who proclaim who God is to the earth. Um, and that is you're providing light. And he said, like a city on a hill, not just light. He says, like a city on a hill, and if you've been to Galilee with me, some of you have, you know in those areas when he was saying this that you can look across and see hilltops all across, and they're 15, 20 miles away, and you can see cities at dark a long way away. And what he's saying with that is you are like light like a city on a hill. In other words, be out, be open, be in the world. be, and, and let the light go as far as it can go. Like live church openly in the world and be open about these things. Because the light that you have needs to be shared with the whole world. It needs to go out and do all the benefit and have the effect in the world. Don't, don't put it under a basket. Don't hide it. Uh, don't Don't live in a cave, in other words. Get out there and, and be out with it and, and live openly like a city on a hill. Be noticed. Be where the, you can't miss it because the, you can't miss the gospel, you can't miss God because the church is just so out there in it. This is, this is what he's saying. And so Jesus says we're like salt, but don't lose your saltiness. And then he says you're like light, but don't cover it up. Do you hear what he's saying here? He's giving us some tensions here. And here's the point I think he's making. If you and I as individuals and all together collectively seek to live out our lives for the glory of Christ and in obedience to him, totally, and we do everything that he's talking about here, we, he wants us to live out complete obedience to him, but he wants us to do it while we're rubbing shoulders with someone who's totally different than us. And he doesn't want us separate. He wants us with them, and he wants us totally obedient with them. And if you've ever done that, you know, that's hard. You got, you're living this way, right? And then the people around you are living that way. And there's a tension that's created. That's not easy. It's, it's a tension, right? It's, it's a, a lot of things where you feel like you're living in, in a lot of ways counter to the people around you. And that produces a lot of tension. If you live totally for Jesus and then you also live totally in their midst and, and in relationships that people that don't know Jesus, then that's a, there's a tense life. And you can feel this in a million different ways in relationships that you have every day, little microscopic ways, I call it. You're going to have to live in a tension. And that tension can be exhausting, amen? It can. You need to find, and because that tension is exhausting, you need continual rhythms of you getting strengthened back in doing it. You need encouragement, and that means you need the church. So you need encouragement to be able to live in that tension, but that tension is exhausting. It's exhausting. I mean, it can take you to the brink of despair, depending on how high the tension is, right? All the tension all the way up to persecution. And Jesus said, blessed are you when you're persecuted. And you're like, what in the world do you mean? I'm blessed. Like, the tension is like crazy, and he's like, hey, man, you got it real good. You see, Jesus says, I want you in the tension. I want you in there, and I want you to live faithfully for me. And if the tension is way up, consider yourself blessed. I want you to think about this. This is the tension he's calling us to live in. Now, when you're living in the tension, you're you're tempted with two different things. Two different things. The first one, the temptation is to assimilate. That You get in there, and you're living in in the counter, and it's just tense, and it's exhausting, and, and you get probably tired and you have not had a source of encouragement into your heart to help you keep living in the tension guess what might happen you begin to just turn and face that way because it's easier it feels better I mean it just does you know you fit in with the crowd and it's just you don't have to feel like I'm just always in this tense thing it's it just feels better to assimilate just become like them and Jesus says you lost your salt excuse me I don't know where that came from the coffee maybe sorry you lost your salt. That's what he means. Don't become like them. If you become like them. You lost your effect. You're like dirt. Salt became like dirt. Have you ever gotten food and you put salt on it and then you tasted it and it's just as bland as it was without when you, before you did it? No. You haven't. But what if you did? You would think, what did I just put on my food? What, and you would take that whole canister Whatever that is, because it's not salt, obviously, because it doesn't taste like salt. You would throw it in the garbage, right? Whatever it is. And that's what Jesus is saying is, hey, you assimilate. You become like the people around you, and you stop being totally obedient to me. You assimilate into the culture around you. You have lost your salt, and you're not worth anything. Like, I have you as my follower so that you produce good in the world, and you become like the world. You have no contrast in your life, and therefore, you're you're not useful. You lost it. You lost your saltiness. You became just like them. You do what they do. You think what like they think, and you just fit in. I didn't call you to fit in. I called you to obey me. And you got to trust me in the tension. But then the other temptation is to isolate. Man, it's tense being around people that aren't Christian or don't really want what you want and don't live the same direction. It's tense, and then you begin to go, you know what? But it feels real good when I'm around people that are like that are Christian, that are like me, and they want the same things. And, and so I just kind of avoid, I avoid those encounters. I avoid living life with those kinds of people. And I just stay in my huddle, and it feels better. It feels much better. There's no tension in that. And he says, you just put a basket over your light. You just covered up. You're got to, you just did this. And you're not any use to people that need me. You need to be out there, be in their midst. So don't make that error either. I don't want you to just isolate yourself into a nice holy huddle. We all get God great. We're safe. Who cares about them? Let's go to heaven. That's putting a basket over your candle, your light. The light it needs to be useful. The reason you're saved is to represent me. So you got to be out there. And you got to be totally obedient to me, faithful to me, in their midst so that they can see and they can receive and they can feel the joy of God. They can hear the word of God. They can, they can see it in personal form through your life. And so don't, don't fall prey to either one of the temptations to assimilate or to isolate. You stay right there. And you live it every day. And you receive the encouragement that you have from the church, but you stay there. Um, Jeff Vanderstelt said, I, I love it. He says, we are called to live lives that demand gospel explanations. Does your life demand the people around you that you provide an explanation? Okay, that's a good question, isn't it? I, I didn't mean to convict you with that. I'm just, it's just, it's a good, because that's what Peter says. He says, make sure that you're living in such a way that when people ask you, well, are you living in a way where, like, it, you, it demands a question, like, why do you think that way? Why, why don't, why aren't you sad because this happened? Or why aren't you joyful that it happened? Why don't you act that way? Why would not you do that back to that person that hurt you? Why would you, why, why? So people live in such a way where it seems so counter, that they go, why would you be that way? It demands questions. I love that quote. When we have the opportunities to give people Jesus as the answer for our hope. Because in those questions is where the opportunity is to represent him. So we live our lives in the tension. I was talking to a friend the other day. Uh, and he sought to do this, and he, and he sought to build friendships that, where he could be light, and he could be salt in people's lives, and, and he established a friendship around the biking. A couple of guys that are bikers, and they bike in the greenbelt and it's uh, mountain biking kind of stuff, and so they're doing their biking, and if you go to the Green Belt, you know that people often go down there and go to the pools that are along the way in the Barton Springs area. Um, Barton Creek comes down through there. And there's places where people swim and all that. And usually it's a large crowd that's gathered. But they're, they're biking through there. And he said, he said there was no one at the pool except two girls. And the girls were, like, wearing incredibly thin bikinis, okay. And he said, we're going through there. And I noticed it, but I didn't, I didn't pay much attention to it. But the two guys noticed it. And they were like, bricks, right. And they hit the brakes, and they just want to stare. And they, they get off into the like moment of staring at these two girls. And he's like, "Oh my goodness!" And he's like, I, "No, I can't look." He's like, "He said I stood there the whole time, just like feeling very awkward that I'm not engaging in the enjoyment that they're having by looking and staring and all of this kind of thing at these girls." And he's like, "I just can't can't do it." And he said, "What struck him was, is they would not, they could not understand why he wouldn't join them in the in this activity, like." What, is something wrong? Like, you know, like, uh, what was, and he had to like, but here's what, what, what happened is he cre- there's a moment created when he's seeking to live faithfully to the Lord with his eyes. There's a moment created where a question is demanded and they have to ask him, what? <laughs> Why not? You know, and, and he has an opportunity to appropriately and gently and lovingly and respectfully just keep a witness there, right? And and, and, and a conversation begins with them, and they begin to learn about him a little bit. By what? Something that he chose not to do with them. Well, see, this is the moment for gospel. This is where the impact happens. It could have been easy for him just to just go over there and just, Kind of enjoy and not have any contrast in his life and just kind of not look at him but look over him or whatever, you know. I mean, he could have just fit in and he, and he just chose not to. See, it created the moment for the gospel. So here's the question. These two, these two things. When it comes to choosing our friends and building our friend circles in life, how do we choose our friends in such a way as to help us live in this tension? Well, that's what I want this series really to be all about. Let me give you another tension in the Bible. When it comes to choosing friends that we choose as a structure in our life, on one hand, the Bible says uh, that we are to sort of isolate in some ways. Proverbs 13, says, do not be a companion of fools. We talked about that last week. A companion of fools suffers harm, right? You may not even be guilty of doing the thing that's foolish. You're just around foolish people doing the thing, and you got guilty by association, right? You got arrested with the whole crew. Because why? You were there, right? That can happen. Suffer harm because you just, you're just you right in their midst. You're a companion of fools. And the Bible says, do not be a companion of fools. Walk with the wise, Become wise, uh, this idea. Second Corinthians 14, Paul goes and says, What fellowship, what friendship, you could say, does light have with darkness? Um, in other words, don't partner up with people who don't know the Lord, who don't have alignment in core things in life than you, than you do. What light, what fellowship, friendship does light have with darkness? So you have that, right, on this hand. Um, Then he says in 2 Timothy 3, Paul tells Timothy to avoid certain people. He said, Avoid such people. Who are these people? Well, let's go through here just a few. Lovers of self. Anybody selfish? Yeah, we all have been, right? All right, we've all been unselfish. So, man, that's uh, that's a lot of people, Paul, uh, to avoid right there. Uh, Avoid lovers of money. Proud. Proud. We're getting a narrow, narrow list of opportunities of people to not avoid. Uh, Arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. He goes on and he lists another laundry list of things that are very, very common in our society. Very common. He says, avoid such people. Well, what do we do with that, right? That's on this side. In many of the New Testament letters in the church, we're, we're warned to associate, not associate, even inside the church with people who practice certain things. Like a, an openly blatant uh, re- re- person living in rebellion to Christ calling themselves Christian. You're to avoid those people inside the church. They call themselves Christian, but they live in total opposition to everything Jesus says. Their lives don't match their what they claim. Stay away from those people. This is what we hear in the New Testament. Stay away from false teachers. People who think, teach things totally contrary to the word of Christ. There are people in the church that can come in and start teaching things that are totally contrary to Christ. And you need to avoid them. And this is what we're told to avoid all kinds of things. And the Bible tells us to avoid things. It says avoid backbiters. People who in the church, that are all, controversy always surrounds them. Every time you turn around, they're, con, they're building controversy in the church. They're dividing people against each other. All this kind of stuff. Avoid them. And we're told not to fellowship with them. Don't offer them the right hand. That's what the New Testament teaches. So on this hand. On this side of things, there is that. There is that. Um, Then on the other hand, we're told, and this is just a few examples, but I'm just trying to show the the balance here. 1 Corinthians 5.5, Paul says, hey, I wrote to you not to associate with the sexually immoral people. Um, But he says, let me clarify. I meant sexually immoral people in the church. (laughs) I didn't mean not sexually immoral people out in the world. If you did that, you'd have to leave the earth. He literally says that no, I don't mean avoid people in the world that are sexually immoral. If you did that, you couldn't live on the earth, right? He said, no, so the expectation is, no, you, you need to be in their midst. I'm talking about people in the church claiming to be Christian who are living totally in sexual morality. That's what he was talking about in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 5.5. 5. So you have that. No, I mean, Paul says, no, you, you're going to encounter that as you're out in the world. Philippians 2.5, Paul tells us to be blameless, innocent children of God without blemish. And he says, in the midst, living among uh, a, a, a people, who are quick, a crooked and twisted generation. Is there anybody that thinks you live in a crooked and twisted generation? There are so many twisted and crooked things going on. And you feel it, right? And what does Jesus say? Get away from it. No. Get in there. That's what he says. Get in there and take your position and let my effect through your life happen. Get in there. Don't go, that's crooked, I'm going away. No, that's crooked, this is bad. Now, I'm not going to partner in the things, but I'm going to go in there and I'm going to take my place in this. So, Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners. What did that mean? Well, the religious leader says he's a friend of sinners because he goes and eats with them in their home. And eating when they're in their home, it's it's an intimate thing for us today, but much more that day. It means that you are belonging to them. You're culturally saying, I accept them and I'm saying things that are, I'm tying myself to them. I I associate with people who are corrupt and sinners. And And Jesus was willing to be seen that way with deep sinful people in his day. So... Jesus would go to parties, associate with people that the religious leaders would say he's, he's, he's not valid. Why? Because he associates with those people. He's a friend of sinners, a glutton, and a, and a, and a drunkard. And he was accused of these things. What does that mean? Well, Jesus himself is saying, This is how. This is how you get in there. This is how you're a city on a hill. You get in the midst. I'm not saying you do what they do, but you're in their midst. You're in their midst. So when it comes to friendships that we choose in life, how do we balance this out? Where do we land in this? And I want to help you develop a structure that I believe pulls all of these things together and helps us understand what the Bible's teaching as a whole for us, okay? Friendships can be quite complex, right? If I told you to list out all your friends, you'd go, well, what do you mean friend? Right? Uh, Acquaintances, faces I know. Or like intimate friends, like best friends. Which kind of friends, right? You'd say there's lots of ranges and levels and mixtures of who friends are and all that sort of thing. In fact, Robin Dunmar is a renowned psychologist that uh, did an entire study on this just to determine how many relationships a person can actually maintain. And she didn't know Christy Fashon because uh, it's a little low uh, for Christy. But but overall, the data was pulled. They broke down that we can we can have about 150 um, good relationships with people and we can maintain those about 150 but she said all the results were widely varied uh, there was a wide variety of results so some were very small and some were really high it ended up being 150 which is exactly my marriage I'm three she's 250 so we were right what well, 150 would the study would say um, but since friendships require work, and you can see a diagram that she actually built a concentric circle there. And you can see the ego in the middle. I don't know what ego means. The article didn't spell it out. But I would assume that means like you and uh, maybe one other or something like that. And then you have uh, five close friends up to five. And this is all the averages that broke down. Best friends, good friends, friends. And then there's a dark circle around that, and then it gets into acquaintances and then people you know their names. And then lastly, on the outside, 5,000 known faces. Now that I'm, I'm good at. I never forget a face. But uh, names, my my hard drive is about 500. If I add a name at that point, point, I delete. one gets deleted. And I can't seem to uh, keep that going. But you can see that's a good little description there. And if you keep this in your mind, the concentric circles here about friendships and your relationship in those friendships what you'd find is you're spending more of your time on the ones closest to you right you 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 gladly and willingly spend more time with the ones closest to you a little less time because it just doesn't demand it with the ones that are further away on that circle diagram okay um and i think all of us grasp this by experience If you had to put all your friendships on this graph where would everybody fall i think that's a good practice, just to think about in a general way. Um, I'm going to make two points, and I want you to keep this diagram in your mind and in your life of what what this looks like. Make two points. First point is this. Our closest friendships should provide us a strong grounding in the most important aspects of our life, okay? They need to be strengthening you and grounding you and have great alignment in the foundational things of life. Those closest to you. The ones you spend most of your time with, most of your investment with, those need to be there. Our family and our close friends tend to satisfy a very strong need that we have as human beings on, in our soul. The first one is acceptance and belonging. I've t- tied them together. We are born with a need to be accepted to be loved by others, belong to others at a deep level. We want to have that sense of belonging and acceptance, accepted no matter what, right? And family provides that. And even some friendships can provide that at an even higher level than family can. Friendships are part of that. And those close, close friendships, if you don't have them, you need them. So you need to pray and look for them. We talked about that last week. But they provide you the acceptance and the belonging that you really need as a human being. We all seek it out at different levels. Then secondly, companionship. You need someone that you're shoulder to shoulder with and life is a journey. And I'm not talking about just spouse. I'm talking about close friends. Shoulder to shoulder and just living life and mutually sharing uh, experiences together and things like that. You're living life together. You're talking about life together. And we need companionship, doing activities together. Being together and living life together. But then lastly, and I think most importantly in our t- particular context, identity formation. The, the giving of identity, the way you find your identity, and the forming of that identity comes from these close friends. Now, I know this cuts across the grain in our culture. I know it does. The narrative of our culture is different, but I'm going to say it anyway. You don't find out who you are from you. Our culture would say that you look into your soul, determine who you are, you for yourself, and then you begin to project that identity outside of you into the world around you and seek to have them accept you as you have determined you to be. I believe that is 180 opposite. And here's why. Here's why. You did not make you. You didn't purpose your existence. You, much of what makes you who you are was given to you. Genetics, everything about genetics, with your body, your hair color, the things you can't control, you can only adjust. <laughs> you can only make adjustments and you know things like that. But really, it's what it is. It's what it is. You are who you are because someone else has made you God and your parents, he determined when you'd be born. You didn't determine when you are born. You didn't have this pre-meeting about what kind of body I want to have, what kind of, you know, many of you would say I would be totally different. Right? Close friendships are like a mirror. God didn't even make us to be able to look at us. I mean, do you think about that. God made us to be able to look at each other. I mean, you, didn't have, you don't have the ability to look at your backside, okay? There's, I never saw myself from the back until one day I was uh, on camera and someone shot and I saw myself from the back and I went, okay, diet. Right now I'm going to start exercising. Oh, my goodness, I am a wide load. Whoa, that is terrible. Uh, I was like, I've never seen myself. I thought it was somebody else. Uh, thank God there's a mirror. You know what? Friends can do that for you. Friends can do that for you. They're like a mirror. And the way you discover who you are is you first listen to God and let God tell you who you are. Because he made you and he made you for a purpose and he put you together and your parents and he used all of that to put you together. In fact, much of your personality you can't help. How many of you laugh like your parents? And you found yourself laughing like your parents. That's genetic. You know, you didn't develop that laugh. You know, you cough or sneeze like your dad or your, or your mom, and you know it, and you're like, man, that's genetic. You didn't, like, say, I want to sneeze like this. <laughs> you, you didn't make you. You're not your idea. You're God's idea. He gives you identity. What you need to do is find out and grow in from outside of yourself into yourself who I am, why I'm here. That is something only God and the others around you can provide you. But close friendships provide that to you. They can help you discover who you are. If they're healthy. If they're healthy. So identity formation. Now when you're looking at close friendships, close friendships are where you're looking for identity, identity formation, Acceptance, belonging, all those deep needs that you have, those who are closest to you are the ones that you look to to provide that to you and have those things satisfied and have those things grounded and have those things strengthened. Your core friendships, those are the things that you're looking to to give you that. Now let me transition. Next point. And it's a long point, but I think you'll know why. When we are grounded well, And secure in our sense of belonging and identity with healthy, close friendships. We have strength and security to be a friend to anyone in our world, including people who are totally different than us and even enemies. But here's the difference. There's core needs that I have that are met by core friends. I do not look to those friendships for these things. That's very important. I look at these friendships as more of a blessed friendship. And that's important. Y'all remember the blessed campaign? We went through it. We had the book. You saw the book. The bless five everyday ways to love your neighbor and change the world. When Jesus talks about being a friend of everyone, light on a hill, get out there, get in the midst, get in the midst. This is, I believe, the best packaging of what the Bible teaches about that kind of friendship. The, Samar- the good Samaritan type friendship where I seek to be a blessing in their life. I seek to be a friend, but it's a friend that I'm not looking to be satisfied in the core things that I need to be satisfied in. I'm looking to these. I'm dipping from the well of my core friendships and the security and the strength of my core friendships, and I'm actually having something to share. And I'm strong enough to be able to have something to give, right? The blessed acrostic is begin with prayer. Listen is the L. Eat, there should be another slide. There we go. Begin with prayer. Listen, eat, serve, story. Notice that all those things are really not about you. It's about you being a giver and a blesser to another person. And you need to be willing to do that for anyone, anywhere. The whole Good Samaritan thing was like blast through all the paradigms that would keep you from doing that. Be a friend that way to anyone, anywhere. So what's the point? Here, I'll close with this. The point, you need both. You need the core friendships that are healthy and strong to secure you and root you. And you know, as well as I do, that the people you enjoy in life most are people who are well-grounded. And you can tell that they have, a, they have a core around them that strengthens them in right in the good things and the right things. And they have a strength about them and a pleasantness even, uh, emotional intelligence. They don't seem to be driven by anger. And they don't go around having these deep needs that aren't met and they're demanding everything from everybody and all this stuff. They're very grounded. They seem satisfied in life. Close friendships that are healthy will give you that. Family, yes, absolutely. But for the sake of the series, close friendships will also give you that, that strength that you need. Now, think of it as a well that you have to do both. It's a well, but then you take that well and you bless. You bless others in the world, and you're willing to be a friend to anyone out there. The two dangers, isolation and assimilation. Friendships, friendships. Core friendships, blessed friendships. couple of questions. Are your core friendships healthy? Are they healthy, biblically? I'm not talking about having core friendships. They see everything the same way you do. You're the exact same person. No. Are they they rooted and founded in the most important things in alignment with you? That's important. Are your closest friends strengthening you in Christ continually? Are there friends in your core that should not be in your core? It's a good question. And I would say this. If you feel like there's some in my core that shouldn't be, don't do anything fast. Pray it through, process it out, and whatever adjustment God puts on your heart, do it slowly, slowly. The other question, have you isolated yourself? Can you think of anyone that you're a friend to in a blessed capacity that is very different than you, thinks totally different than you? Do you have any friends like that that you're seeking to be a blessing in? It's a good question. Purposeful, blessed friendships. What would a friendship adjustment look like? Ask that of the Lord. Just ask him. Say, Lord, what what, what adjustments do I need to make? Am I isolating or assimilating? Am I heavy on one or the other? Center me, Lord, in where you'd have me to be. Amen? Let's take those questions to the Lord in our time of response. Let's think about our structure of friendships as we live life and build friendships and develop friendships and let's make those moves with the Holy Spirit as he guides us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and uh, Lord uh, we just ask for your wisdom because in many cases, there's many situations I'm sure where friendships um, are comp- complex and we need your spirit in those moments to give us what we need. Give us the wisdom we need to know how how to operate there but we take these biblical principles and we apply them to our lives and you guide us in the middle take this time of response speak to our hearts take us where you want us to go make us what you want us to be we pray all of that in jesus name amen amen will you stand with me all across the room as we sing this song let's just do some business with the lord